Welcome to another episode of Cake Watch with me, Chris Kendall, a European official who is here in a strictly personal capacity. And me, Steve Bullock, who, well, until recently, I was just an anti-Brexit campaign and running studio, but I'm all for doing that. But in addition, um, I'm a Brexit geek for uh, Alan Smith, MEP. And also here in a, and all, sorry, I should have said, <laughs> and also here in a purely personal capacity. Disclaimer, disclaimer armour. <laughs> so Steve it's been another it's been another week hasn't it it, it has been a bit of a one hasn't it <laughs> should we just should we just um, we'll just say when it hasn't been a week shall we yeah just take yeah, it as red absolutely. that it's been a week <laughs> I think it's, it's one of the things about Brexit if the thing about it is it just is it gets worse it's relentless and yeah. it's on an, a logarithmic scale of shit I actually, I actually, um, I, I re, uh, yeah, I resurrected my old uh, blog title. Yes. In a tweet recently, and everybody went mental. No, about it's brilliant. It, well, that's that's actually brings us directly to follow up. Yeah, which is yeah. Well, the, the 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 tweet was that Brexit is fundamentally a moronathon. Yeah, and people um, like that, and yeah, understandably, like that, yeah. understandably, because right. it is. It is. It's it's relentless, relentlessly stupid, Steve. It is. Stupid. <laughs> just stupid. Right. Um, follow-up. Uh, mm. Some very quick follow-up this week. Um, follow-up to the follow-up. Um, uh, Joao D tells us that the Portuguese equivalent of having your cake and eating it is uh, you want sun on the threshing floor and rain on the turnip field. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I, I really like, like that. That's, very, that's, yeah. very, that's a real image, isn't it? Yeah. Um, it's not quite... Not quite the Welsh equivalent of having your cake and eating it, but Anwen Williams tells us that the Welsh for cakeism is, and I am now going to attend Welsh, so <laughs> yeah. hold on to your craft. Kakiev. Excellent, I like that. But also she gave us the Welsh for Moronathon. She did, which was fantastic. <laughs> this is I even really, more... Really like that. All right, now, hold on. No, here we go. I'm so sorry, Wales. Penrudiath? Penrudiath? I've no idea. I'll admit. I'm from South Shields. I never expect to have to speak Welsh into a microphone. I'm not even going to attempt it. And the what, uh, last bit of Welsh here for you. Um, Anwen tells us that Ian Duncan Smith is a cud. C-W-D, a cud. Cud, 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 cud. Careful. Which means a poke, a bag, a cod, a pouch. Yeah, I mean, how can one word mean <clears throat> a poke and a bag and a cod? Oh, well, ba- well, poke means bag, pig in a poke. Poke is yeah, oh, an old true. word for bag. Ouch. So what about cod? And cod, though? I suppose, is like, is that cod piece? Cod. Oh, so not the fish, but the, yeah. I don't think he was calling him a fish, no. That would be a cod and a perch if she was ah. calling him a fish, not a cod and a pouch. I wonder what the angle here is. Is she is she being rude about IDS? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, <laughs> I think she might. I think she might be. It's, Have uh, we just sworn it, in Welsh? <laughs> we but. accept no responsibility for accidental swearing in Welsh. All right, we're going to have to mark it in Twitter as explicit in Welsh. <laughs> That's got, that gets a special iTunes marker, actually. <laughs> right. Um, uh, next bit of follow up. Rob tells us that the etymology of the phrase have your cake and eat it played a crucial role in the arrest and the conviction of the Unabomber. Mm, mm. That's quite interesting. That Par- is quite right. Apparently this is all recounted in um, the, uh, the documentary that's on Netflix that you can find about the Unabomber. And the reason it uh, played a crucial part is because he did, it, he did the idiom wrong. Yeah, basically he was a bit OCD like us and said yeah. it shouldn't be have your cake and eat it, it should be eat your cake and have it. And because... He said that. Which is correct, actually. Which is correct. Well, I mean, he's ob- he was obviously... So we're obviously on the same kind of edge of the spectrum <laughs> as the Unabomber, <laughs> which is slightly I feel, boring. I feel a little, a little bit bad for him. Not that I feel bad for the Unabomber, but I feel so, very slightly bad that it was him being a stickler for these things that got him caught. <laughs> because 
as a stickler for these things. Yeah. You know, you feel a bit, that seems a bit unfair, but I'm not going to do I'm not going to defend them in any other way, obviously. All right, next bit of follow-up. Um, you must be wondering what the hell I've done putting this yeah, into yeah. us. Yeah, I wondered why you <laughs> like, put this in the programme notes. Well, anyway, no. Chris has gone biblical on our ass here. Yeah, it's a, it's no, it's a, it's a red letter day because um, today was the day that I hit ten thousand Twitter followers, Steve. Ah, um, congratulations, Chris. Well, um, yeah, but you also in this past week hit your twenty thousand. So um, I did. So this the excerpt is from the book of Samuel, one Samuel, and it says, ah, um, no. "Saul hath slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands." <laughs> and Chris was very wroth. The saying displeased him, and he said, They have ascribed unto Steve ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed but thousands. And Chris eyed David from that day and forward. <laughs> he eyed, you're, you're eyeing me. I'm eyeing you. Um, the, only reason I've, the only reason I've got any followers is because David Allen, the lovely David Allen Green occasionally takes it upon himself to tell people to follow me, which is just absolutely lovely of him. Yeah. And I don't know why he does that, but it's, uh, it's, I'm very grateful for it. And actually, I think I'm turning slightly pink here. Um, you are, I can see, because you're on Skype, yeah. and I can see that you are. Yeah. Um, well, it's the same for me. I mean, I, I get all my followers from, from you and from John Worth. So. <laughs> <laughs> I got a few from John as well, actually. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, I just wanted to say that um, I had promised to all my 10,000 followers that I would knit them EU hats. And fake I, news. And I think I said that <laughs> you can write that promise on the side of a bus. Which means it's fake news. Well, followers, you should by now have received your hat. If you haven't received it, that is the fault of the British government. <laughs> Outstanding. I mean, if they can blame Brussels for everything, I'm going to blame them. So you're, you're going you're gonna to blame the British government for you not having knitted, for you, in fact, having knitted about three hats instead of 10,000? I, I knitted 10,000 hats and sent them by courier to every single one of my followers. If they haven't received those hats that they were promised in good faith... In good faith. Then it yes. is the fault of the British government. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you're not going to be on 10,000 followers for long. I think you're going to lose a couple when they hear this. <laughs> right. Right, should we get stuck into the real thing? Yeah, so this week we're doing... Oh, actually, do you want to do the, uh, do you want to do the sponsor first? Yeah, let's do it. You, you do should that. Do the sponsor, should you do the sponsor first? This is a, 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 um, this is a sponsor that I'm very, uh, very, very pleased to do. As you know, um, Cakewatch Cake uh, is a non-commercial operation, and uh, we don't take money from sponsors. Uh, instead, we, we like to uh, have a sponsor for each episode who is an organisation working against Brexit. Um, and this week we have an organisation that I'm a member of, which is really, really, really nice. Um, and the organisation is called Final Say For All, and you can go to its website, which is finalsayforall.eu. Um, and they're also on Twitter, and I think now also have a Facebook page. Um, so this is the message from Final Say For All. Um, a big shout out to Nikki, who runs it. No one should ever have to wake one day to find their family life and future the subject of a negotiation between two factions in which they've had no say. Yet this has happened to millions of people because of the UK's decision to leave the EU. The aim of Final Say for All is to keep the UK within the EU. The final destination of leave was never advertised because there were so many ideas of what the final destination would be. Many have never even had a vision of a final destination, but were protesting against an establishment that had sold them short and disenfranchised them. Now there's an entirely different group of disenfranchised citizens. Their lives have been placed in disarray by this vote, but... Despite being the most directly affected, they were given no say by not having been given a vote in the referendum at all. Three million of these people are EU citizens living within the UK, but there are also approximately 1.2 million citizens living in the EU, many of whom were also denied a vote. It's these British citizens living in the EU, the majority of whom are not liberal elite, whose stories we're trying to tell. Many are people who serve their country for their entire working lives, often in a heroic way. Others are still working for their country, and many still pay taxes in the UK. How can it be that these people have been denied in a vote in a matter that directly affects their everyday lives? It's these people we seek to represent. We'll remain an autonomous group fighting for a second referendum and the protection of the rights and freedoms of those affected in this way, while seeking to collaborate with other groups fighting for a common cause, for example, to protect the rights of the three million citizens or to stop Brexit altogether. Our intention is to gain a final say for all in a second referendum and ultimately to overturn the disastrous decision of Brexit in a democratic manner. So that's final say for all. Um, which are, is at finalsayforall.eu. 
And I want particularly to uh, to plug an event for uh, anybody who lives or works in Brussels uh, or who is planning, was thinking about planning a trip to Brussels at any point. On Thursday, the 22nd of March, at the Grapevine in Place de Luxembourg in Brussels, from 4.30 to 8pm, uh, there will be a meet and greet uh with the uh, board of the final say for all foundation. And the point of this is really to gather the stories about, uh, to gather the stories of people whose lives have been affected by this. Steve, I have a question. Did you say that was on a Thursday? It is on a Thursday. In Place Lux? Yeah, yeah, but we've hired a room. It'll be fine. In, in the Grapevine in Place Lux on a Thursday? Yeah, it's in the Grapevine <laughs> in Place Lux on a Thursday. We're trying to get MEP's assistance and stuff to come. Holy shit. And since right. they'll be next door in another pub anyway, we thought that was absolutely ideal. Well, okay. And if, and if, <laughs> That's brave. <laughs> it is brave. And we're hoping that, uh, and we're starting early, and we're hoping that, so the, the idea, there won't be, I don't think there'll be speeches or anything like that. The idea is that you come and meet us. And what we want, what we want is we want, uh, I'm speaking, saying we because I'm a member of this organization, a member of the Final Say uh, for All. Um, uh, we want the stories of people. And how this came about is really... How this, this group came about is very interesting because the uh, the person who started this group, Nikki, realised that when she told people, even leavers, about how Brexit would affect her life mm. um, as an EU citizen living in... Uh, a UK citizen living in the the EU, they were surprised and shocked and upset. Yeah, they and they said, realize. that's not... You know, we didn't... We didn't want that. We didn't mean you, and it, Nikki. And it does a, And it does affect... I mean, she lives in the Netherlands, so... Um, she she can't as yet get Dutch citizenship without giving up UK citizenship, mm. um, and she has a particular family situation, and it 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 makes life it'll make life really very very difficult for her. And there are, there are lots of other people. So many stories like this. I mean, so, it's so many, so stories, many like stories like this. It's... And and on the on the who can vote thing, I mean, lots of people say, oh yes, but it's perfectly, you know, it's perfectly legitimate to to have the idea that. Uh, you have to be resident in a country. For example, in the in the Scottish referendum, everybody resident in Scotland could vote, but overseas, but there weren't any overseas voters. And our response to this is, okay, give the three million in the UK right, exactly. a vote. If, you can take a you can take a resident's point of view, or you can take a citizenship point. Well, of listen, view. but the, Steve, but the you know point is, in this, they took neither. Yeah, well, it's, it was cakeism. It was more cakeism. Yeah, it absolutely. was electoral cakeism. That it was well, you don't get a vote unless you're a British citizen, but you don't get a vote. Unless you're a resident British citizen. Oh, and by yeah. the way, you also don't get to vote if you're under 18 or whatever is it, under 17. Under 18. Under 18, yeah. yeah. But I think, I think there's, there's really something here that, that EU, citizens, EU citizens in the EU have been seen as, as a, either as pensioners sort of lolling, lolling around on bowling greens on the Costa del Sol um, or as you know, wealthy people who've decided that they're fancy living in Amsterdam or they're yeah. fancy living in Prague. And actually, then they're not. They're really not. I mean, I ran into um, well, I mean, some are. Don't get me wrong, but the majority really aren't. For instance, you know, I ran into uh, there's a guy, a really nice guy, Jason, who uh, runs a, a pasty van that goes around all the markets in in Brussels, mm. and he sells genuine Cornish pasties, and he has them yeah, imported I from. Yeah, they're really good. Yeah, <laughs> they're really, fant- really, really fantastic. And he was telling, I, I went for a pasty for lunch today, and he was telling me that. Um, uh, you know he doesn't know what he doesn't know what's gonna gonna happen to his business after Brexit. Um, he's just a normal guy who runs a runs a pasty store, but already the uh, uh, the price that he's paying uh, for for the pasties has gone up ten percent, and he's worried about what uh, tariffs and import duties and all this kind of thing will do to it. And he's looking at it and going, "Look, there's a chance. There's a chance that by the time all this uh, by the time all this happens." The price will be so high that I'll be charging, mm. you know, seven euros a pasty, and nobody will want nobody will want a pasty. Well, as, as dear old Roger Helmer has just realised, of course, um, <laughs> we may be getting uh, chlorinated Texan pasties in future, mm, mm. Um, because... and having to call, having to allow the Americans to call them call them Cornish, <laughs> even if they're not Cornish as well. Yeah, bless yeah. him, poor old Roger. I mean, well, we'll get to him at the end when we talk about idiot of the week. But <laughs> life, life life moves a bit fast for Roger. Yeah. I get the impression, doesn't it? <laughs> Just moves a, a little bit too quick. <laughs> Just moves a bit too fast. <laughs> That's not what I meant. So anyway, the point is that, that you know all all people who vote leave aren't on 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 bad people. You know this is based on the idea that most people are actually good and most people don't want to really harm other people. Yeah. And when they hear that, when they hear stories about how 
it affects individuals, then people think people yeah. think about it and they think, well, I never intended any harm for this. And that's what we and that's what I think, and I think that's why this is a really good group, and it's why I got involved. No, it's with a great it, because group. I think that's a really good approach. That's I think that's a really good approach to it. Well, I was being a bit facetious and undemocratic when I said um, that only people who voted Remain were banned from voting. Of course, because that's. <laughs> but, but I think I think the point the point a more a more legitimate point is that many of the people most directly affected by the result of this vote were excluded, and that's. That's not democratic by no. any stretch of the imagination. That, that's a no, problem. and there's reasons for that, and there's politics behind that. Yeah, but that, but I mean, as a basic principle, this is a this is a this is a very very this is a very very bad one, and, and really not particularly not particularly democratic. Yeah. All right. Um, so we're gonna, um, Steve. Make sure you send me the details. I mean, of course, of I know course, these guys, absolutely. but we will stick that in the in the um, episode notes that will go up on the website. Absolutely. Right. Uh, we're going to talk about Theresa May's. Um, amazing speech that garnered enormous praise from all corners because it was a masterpiece. Um, shall we talk a little bit about it? Yeah, absolutely. Deluxe yeah. cakeism. Deluxe cakeism. Cakeism. Le cakeism deluxe. As my colleague um, Richard said, it may have been from Fortnum and Mason, but it was still cake. So I so I harped on at length about uh, customs union and single market. So do you want to do you want to start off on on this? All right. Increase? Um, Okay. Well, look, um, when we recorded last week, it was just before um, Theresa May's speech um, at Mansion House, um, which was the um, speech they'd all been working on at Checkers, and we um, we made all sorts of dire predictions for it. Um, fair to say that when she made the speech, it was possibly the most um, well-received of the various speeches that she has made on Brexit, and also that her colleagues in government have made on Brexit. It was initially pretty well received. Um, in tone-wise, it seemed to be um, a step up on where we'd been. We were not talking about citizens of nowhere, and um, well, the, the big difference—the big difference was the was was the tone, and you know, apparently an injection of some sort of realism. Was well, the, well, hang on. <laughs> I don't know about the realism. Well, she used the, the term. Detailed. She used the term. We have to be realistic about it. Well, yeah, it wasn't but then, yet, but then but she went on to be not very to be realistic. Totally about unrealistic. It. Exactly. I mean, she, course, the, yeah. she, 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 tone-wise, she, she said things like, "Well, look, you know, we're going to have to accept that um, we can't have it all. Um, there are going to be costs here. Yeah, but and that we won't have the same access to the single market. Yeah, but yeah. again, I mean." Listening from my perspective, you know, from from where I'm sitting, even when she was saying those things, it still just struck of um, a certain kind of exceptionalism. It was always about, well, you know, none of us are going to get everything we want. Neither we are, nor the EU side. And, you know, yeah, we're going to have some of our market access restricted. And so are they going to have some of their market access restricted. So that's fine, isn't it? You know, and and, and the way it was pitched was as if, well, you know, we're all losers here. And I'm like, well... (laughs) Jesus, you know. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. I mean, somebody, somebody. I can't remember who it was. Tweeted that uh, she'd made the, the, the entire speech made an excellent case for staying in the. Well, yes, for staying in yes. the EU. Yes, know, it did. She, it certainly beca- did that. because she was she, because she was honest about lots of ways that we and the EU would be worse off as a result of it. Well, the immediate aftermath of the speech was that people were saying, "Okay, you know, she she's coming around. This is a bit more realistic. Jolly good." And both wings of the Tory party seemed to be saying, "All right, you know, okay, this is this is wise and sensible, and you know, would." <laughs> <laughs> it, the F, number of comments here, you know, firstly, it's very obvious to outsiders that the target of her speech yet again was on uniting or trying to paper over the, 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 the massive differences in her own party and her own government. To try and manage some expectations about it as well, yeah, which, it was, which, which I have to say I've criticised the government for not doing. Um, and therefore, you know, I mean, it is, is right, but these should have been managed. These, these mm. should have been, she, that speech would have been an OK speech a, a year ago. That would have been a decent starting point a year ago to manage expectations like that. Well, as as uh, as Pirish said, the former director general of the council legal service, he said, you know, if this speech had been given a year ago, you know, maybe maybe this would have been a you know maybe this would have been accepted in a in a better spirit. Maybe we'd be like, okay, all right, there's a realism here. Okay, she has to say a few things for domestic consumption, but okay, we're being serious here. We're not we're not being unrealistic. But now. In the context yeah. that we are now facing, 
and, and then he six, just six months to when the exit agreement has to be finished. Yeah, and, and he launched into just the most incredible thread. I thought, and 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 I know we've we've seen lots and lots and lots of threads along these lines and on Twitter, and with lots of articles by people writing about you know this is how this is what cakeism is, and this is why cherry picking won't work. But I thought that this really. This was a great introduction to it, a great way of just summing it all up in a nutshell. And I do urge you to read this thread if you haven't read it yet. And I should say, I mean, um, Chris and I have both been on the receiving end of the council legal service, I'm, I'm, I'm sure. Um, but it should be remembered that John Claude Pierce is um, extremely pro-UK and extremely anti-Brexit. Yeah. I mean, he's one of the people that, mm. uh, that continues to say and to remind, wants to remind people in the UK that... Um, that he can pull out of this. Yeah. So, you know, this is not, be, this is not being done um, despite him being called John Claude. I know a lot of people, I know he, he, sounds, he sounds like foreigner and I know that's very difficult for a lot of people. Um, but despite, <laughs> despite that, um, he's incredibly pro-UK and would rather, very much rather this wasn't happening. He still believes it doesn't have to happen. Um, and, but he also, uh, he also thinks that it can be, it can be done if it has to happen, it can be done fairly reasonably. Yeah. Um, and I think that's why he's such a great commentator on this, um, because he's so experienced and, um, and, uh, is clearly not just looking to have a go at the, not having a go at the UK, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really, really important that, um, people who are listening to this in the UK, um, who, perhaps aren't so familiar with um, Brussels and, 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 you know, outside our particular Brussels bubble. I think it's really important that they, 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 they read stuff um, like this. They read what Jean-Claude has said. They, they also look at um, what Stefan de Rink said um, at the LSE yesterday that was reported in a Guardian article. And again, I'll, I'll link to it. Um, to understand how this went down in Brussels, because of course the speech, um, which may have been well received by the Tory Party and the British press, which is obsessed about the Tory Party's inner struggles and rifts, and yeah. for them that's the news. Remember, the people that she really needs to be talking to are here in Brussels. Uh, the people and that, in European and in European capitals, yeah, but who who are negotiating this uh, incredibly important future for, for, for relationship for the country? This this is tremendously important. There's nothing more important. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we've talked about this all along, though, that that everything's been directed towards the home audience. Everything in the strategy, such as it is, I don't believe it actually qualifies as a strategy. But everything in the the, the UK government's uh, method of doing things has been directed either at either at the UK population or at UK po- or at uh, UK politicians or at the Conservative Conservative Party itself. And the people who need to agree to this yeah. are the EU twenty seven. I mean, negotiating negotiating with yourself yeah. um, is 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 not gonna not gonna bring home the bacon. And Ooh. you can see that there was clearly this clearly sort of seen as a victory. You know that. Yeah. Look, look, we've nearly got in some in some ways in some areas, but not all areas, some sort of emerging policy. Um, <laughs> well, we've nearly got consensus. Our, yeah, isn't that absolutely amazing? Well, and hang on a second. The consensus have, that you've nearly reached actually doesn't yeah, fly. It just doesn't work. Yeah, it's internally incoherent. It's uh, it had already been ruled out by Donald Tusk. Um, and Michael Barnier, the three, which we'll talk about, the three, uh, the three, three baskets, three baskets. Of which, which I think, you, three, baskets. Yeah, three baskets, three baskets of unicorns. Well, I always think it's baskets, baskets of cake and cherries, um, and then buckets of unicorn shit. Yeah, I think it was a way to think of it. Um, but yeah, so this has already been ruled out. Yeah. It turns out my, I think what my favourite thing about it is that it turns out that third countries, which I didn't even know, I have to admit, but um, it turns out third countries can't participate in the European Medi- uh, Medicines Agency. So she said she wanted to participate in it. There's no other third country that there's no other third country that does. Um, <laughs> the, that's outside, the medicines agency of, that used to be in London. Yeah, that used to be in London, and which every medicine currently available in the UK has been has been approved by. You know, so um, so even now, and I think David Davis admitted that today that it that it it might not be possible to stay in the agencies. And also, I think as Jeffrey Pierce said as well that, that, that you know. Staying in the agencies is a matter for negotiation. You don't get, you don't, the UK doesn't choose that it is going to stay in agencies. The UK chooses 
that its position is that it would like to, and it requests that the yeah, EU allows um, it to. It requests I mean. something that no other third country has got. And I mean, to be fair, that's, uh, well, that's, that's all along. Course, that's, yeah. That has been what Theresa May and her government have been saying. They have been saying, we want a, a, a deep and special partnership. We, want, mm. you know, we, we are the only third country partner that will have been a former member of the EU. And therefore, you know, we, we've got the shared history. We've got all this. There's an awful lot of overlap of policy and regulatory sphere and so on. And so therefore, we should be getting a deep and special partnership that goes beyond what any other country has managed to negotiate with the EU. And that, I mean, that, that makes a certain superficial sense. But you don't just automatically get it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there are reasons why third countries don't have that. It's not that because I used to be an EU member, I'm automatically going to get this sort of special shit. No, you know, the fact that you're an ex-member means you're no longer a member. And yeah, there's a point, absolutely. you know, you, if, if you're no longer a member of the gym, you don't just get to come in and use the equipment. <laughs> now, they may, at their own discretion, allow you to pay, on, pay for each individual visit. But it's up to them. You're yeah. not entitled to it. It's up yeah. to them whether they want that policy yeah. or not. And, you know, and they, might, they might decide for reasons related to the profitability and viability of the gym club that they're not going to allow that. Because, you know, well, maybe... more, importantly, re- more importantly, reasons that are none of your fucking business because yeah. it's, it's their decision. Yeah. <laughs> I was about to ask you about the three, the three baskets approach. We should say what that is because this is, this is yes. the kind of central point of the speech, isn't it? So the three basket approach... Um, and as far as I understand it, is that you know there's going to be a bunch of um, there's going to be a bunch of areas uh, sectors where it's really important for the UK to stay absolutely in lockstep with the EU because we need um, just in time delivery of, of, of parts and so on. We need access to um, those industries need to be continued to be fully integrated into the European Union. Yeah. Things like automotive, aerospace, and so on. We don't want to lose Airbus. We don't want to lose all these big car makers. Absolutely essential. Then there's yeah. another bunch of um, sectors where um, uh, we'll have uh, sort of mutual recognition. It won't be so tightly integrated. It'll be. We'll do like, the, I think uh, they. I think they say that it's it's doing the same thing, but in a diff- the same objective and the same outcome, yeah, but in a different yeah, way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then then there's a third area where well, we don't care. So it'll be. Um, we'll know, do what we want. Yeah, we yeah. do what we want, and we might just go. You know, we might just go Singapore on you, and 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 go sweatshop on you, or we might just go full chlorinated chicken on you, or you know. But yeah, it doesn't matter. What the three baskets approach strikes me as is what you're say- What the UK is saying to the EU is where we have identified a significant benefit for ourselves. <laughs> we'd like you. We'd like to. We'd like to stay. With, we'd like to stay with you guys. Yeah. Um, where we have identified a significant benefit for ourselves by not being with you guys, we won't be with you guys. Yeah, and, we, and, and most importantly, because we've taken back control, we shall be the final arbiter <laughs> of that rather than, rather than, rather than you or, or, or both, of us, both of us together. Um, so so, it's, so it's, it's almost the definition of, of, of cakeism, actually. It's the, the exact definition of cakeism. It's saying, I will only, I'll only, yeah, I'll only have the bits, bits of benefit. So the bits that we know that we will gain a comparative advantage over you, i.e., compa- in comparative terms, you will lose out by us, by us not being part of this, and we will gain, we'll have them, they're ours. And the bits where, uh, the bits where we, we gain... And unfortunately, you might gain as well. <laughs> we'll, 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 we'll keep them. And they've done the same for the agencies. They've done exactly the same for the agencies. Yeah. They go through all the agencies we like and that save us money and that help, help us with our stuff, we'll keep. All the agencies that help you with your stuff and, just... we, and we don't like, we, 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 we won't have. And if you don't accept this, uh, it's your fault. It's all your fault. It's 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 insane. So yeah. So I mean, I, I actually, just um, while we're on while we're on air, Chris, I just happened to see on Twitter from Shona Jolly QC, who was a great, uh, a really really good. Are you reading Twitter well. while I'm talking to you? It That's... was actually in the back. It was actually in the background behind the JC Pyrrhus. We might have to. We might have I to. We might have to go to couples counselling. I couldn't resist. <laughs> I couldn't. I couldn't resist clicking on it. It was clickbait, Brexit clickbait, because the headline was we had a May rule, double- no Twitter in the pod room. Yeah, which, where we mainly talk about Twitter. Um, 
but, right, but if a total Guardian clickbait headline, which is made double cherry picking on breakfast, says... Double cherry leak, picking. Double cherry picking. Double dipping. Double cherry dipping. Um, on breakfast, says leaked EU report. And uh, there seems to have been a report. I'm seeing a council... <laughs> I'm seeing a council general secretary at working paper here. Oh, yeah, they've got... They've published the whole thing. And they've taken out the, the best bits... Uh, the best bits for it, um, which is that... Which, these are, I think these are lines to take on um uh lines lines to take and we've got claimed Ms. LeMay was overly inward looking saying quote she's tr- she's trying to keep the unity in her cabinet which could so far only agree on divergence from the U- EU unless the UK does not want to diverge her speech was more a domestic communication battle so what this is this is what this is forward. is a summary of the first part of our podcast but just put it in a slightly is, more yeah, articulate but it's, way but it's but it's it's been leaked while we've been while we've been recording it, which is fantastic because it wow. it does say the same things that we said. Describe the model she wanted as double cherry picking, taking in selective elements of EU membership and third country trade agreements. Said there was no solution mm. proposed for the Irish border. See uh, podcast uh, mm. pass him uh, criticizing what it called the mutually contradictory UK ob- objectives of no single market or customs union, no hard border in Ireland, no border mm. down the Irish Sea. Outline May's determination to agree a transition period within the next fortnight. Quote. In spite of the remaining and substantive divergences at the negotiating table, mm. and actually David Davis said today, I think to a uh, to a parliamentary committee, that there were so many areas of divergence um, between the UK and yeah, the EU on, on transition that he couldn't remember them. Yeah. All. So okay, so this is where we have to have our podcast where we have a discussion about um, federalism and um, different tiers of government because and, and, and exceptionalism because of course. There will be people listening who will say, yeah, okay, but yeah, but there's obviously because the UK is a nation and, 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 and the EU isn't. So therefore, why shouldn't the UK just sort of, sign, you know, sign up for the bits it wants and not for the other bits? And doesn't, you don't, the point is. It's not is, a catalogue. It's not a catalogue. It's not like the old case catalogue where you yeah. flick through it and buy the ones you want. Yeah. You know? um, the, the point about, well, you know, here comes my classical education, a race publica. You have a race publica. You decide that you're going to come together and have a political community. And that can be at different levels. Well, we won't get into the whole thing today because it'll take us too long. But in short... We are going to do a podcast on this. I know we keep threatening it, but we actually are. As soon as we've got a, as soon as we've got a quiet enough week, we're going to do a whole right. podcast on federalism. Once you're in a community, a political community, you know, you're in. And, and that means, you know, you, you don't free ride because that break... Yeah. Once you start free riding, the entire logic and rationale for that political community just vanishes and nobody benefits and I, and I think actually we got actually we got a, a, a really good shot of what negotiating deals when you're not part of a political community means yeah from um the open skies deal yeah so there was, the ft reported yeah. this week that the u.s has and people went a shit about it yeah the u.s offers the uk an inferior inferior open skies deal after brexit yeah. secret talks cut short after washington proposed a standard deal on transit like transatlantic flights so basically the EU gets a great deal because it's big and it's got loads and loads of carriers and lots and lots of destinations. And when the UK the UK said, well, we're not going to be in open skies anymore, um, so we're going to do that ourselves because we'll be much better at it. So because, can we have all our slots? Yeah, so can we have everything we, everything we used to have, but can you do it bilaterally with us? And we'll talk about what else you can give us while we're at yeah. it. And the, and the US, US says, said, no. No. Well, here's the, here's the standard contract agreement. You can sign it or not. It's up yeah. to you. And you yeah. know, so my comment here was... You can file this under, well, duh. Well, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, because that's how it works. I, I thought there was a wonderful, tw- was a wonderful, <laughs> wonderful tweet. Somebody, somebody replied to something of mine, I think, or, or I just thought, maybe I just thought. And it was, I can't remember who it was, but it was, it was somebody saying something like, I'm a van driver in Northampton. How come I, how come having read the news and, you know, Tried, yeah. to, tried, tried to find out a bit more about stuff. I know this shit, yeah. and the government doesn't appear I to. I remember that. How yeah. is that possible? Yeah. And that's, that's, a, that's a really... Well, it's a very important question, and I think you know, the answer question. has to be, um, uh, you know, the cognitive dissonance, self-delusion. I mean, it has to be, you know, la, 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 we can't hear you, doesn't it? Or, stupid, or stupidity. No, I don't think it can be. I don't, honestly don't oh, believe... I think it can. That, no, come on. I mean, you know, no disrespect to van drivers in wherever it was, but, I mean, I, you know... I mean, I, I don't know, but I, I can't imagine that most people in government, in the civil service, are not 
you know, at the same intellectual caliber and can understand. Uh, well, Come you, on. no, you think no, you know what? I think part of the reason we're in this trouble is because we allow ourselves to make that, we've allowed ourselves to make that assumption because it generally used to be true. I mean, I think that's the point. I think we've got down past the B team and the C team and the D team <laughs> of politicians available uh, in cab- of cabinet min- cabinet ministers. We've got to the point. I mean, we've seen that you know. Uh, lots of intelligent ones have, have gone by the wayside well, um, yeah. along the way. So what we're left um, you're I saying mean, Justin, Gre- Justin Greening, yeah. for example, is extremely smart, and she, you know, uh, was I think Failed. pretty happy, pretty happy to get out. It seems. Yeah. So Dave, um, what we're saying is David Davis is as thick as mints, is what we're saying. Well, I mean, I I think that often when the ultras are presented with stuff, they say, "I just reject it. I just yeah. reject this." And you say, "Well, you, you can't reject it. It's factually correct." And they say, "I don't give a shit if it's factually well, correct." Well, it's, it's, um, I, think- I just I just reject it. I'm closing my ears. I'm closing my mind to it. It didn't it didn't happen. It didn't exist. Um, and I think there's an incredible. And I think this is where we see this this mad rush to get this mad desire to get over the line. And this is actually mm. the biggest danger to the stop Brexit movement, in my view, is that. Um, all the whole strategy is just about getting, getting over that line, getting over that yeah, line, and what exactly. happens after that just just doesn't matter. And that's why it's so that's why it's become so catastrophically dangerous. Yes, um, because there's no there's no limit to what would be done to get it over the yeah. To they'll get do it anything line, to get it over the line. Know? So I mean, I I don't um, subscribe to the stupidity uh, argument. I don't believe that this is stupidity. My my my. We've discussed this before. I mean, my feeling is that it's. It, it's effectively a, a, they're a cult. It's a religious fervor. They are they are um, that they, they are locked into religious fundamentalist um, ideolo- ideology on this. That's that's where it comes from. Yeah, that's what I think. I think but I think uh, so. They're Which almost the same. Too. They're also, the, but they're almost the same thing because that's willful. That's that's ignorance, but it's willful ignorance. Well, it's, it's not, not the same of, as it's stupidity. Not the it's something else. Yes, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not it, the it, one of the ability to get it. It's a decision. It's not elective to, not blindness to, to rash, reason. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Well, look, <clears throat> let, let me. So, let to sum this point up. I think we've. we've, we've I, ju- I just wanted to come back to. I, I know that you'd said about what uh, Stefan de Rink mm. said. I wonder if you just just come back to that before. Yeah, that's where I was going from, exactly. Yeah, that's what good, I wanted to yeah. do. So, um, so I've just um, written up in our little uh, notes here um, a few quotes from 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 Stefan, and um, so he said that um, Theresa May is proposing a kind of mutual recognition arrangement, which uh, Jean Claude Pires very rightly sort of points out would end up giving the UK as a third country more rights and more, more power rights. than an EU member state. Over EU rules, which would be extraordinary. But anyway, um, Stefan Rink says, look, um, since the financial crisis, what we've done is we've moved away from mutual recognition of national standards. We've moved towards a centralised approach with a single EU rule book, common enforcement structures and single supervisory structures. Now, there's a reason for that. Um, yeah, that no, sounds scary, but it's about a level playing field. Well, you know, firstly, I mean, a lot of that came from the British, um, yeah. Gordon Brown in the aftermath of the financial crisis. Also... The wake of the financial crisis, let's not forget where the financial crisis started and who was primarily responsible for it. I'm not saying that there, you know, there was no responsibility or there were no, there, nobody was involved outside London and New York. But, I mean, you know, let's remember where it, where it started. You know, where was the deregulation of the financial markets? <laughs> where did they start selling these junk products? Where, where did it all start going sh- pear shape? you know? Yeah, yes. Yeah, right? So, and then, um, so... Uh, Stefan adds, EU rules are clear. The European Court of Justice can intervene at any point to declare that mutual recognition of standards is undermining the single market's integrity. Single market's integrity. These principles are not empty dogma. They're not legalistic dogma. They are fundamental to the integrity of the single market and the EU's autonomy. This is the entire point. It's a rules-based system. Without this, it all falls apart and we lose all the benefits of the single market and of the EU. You, know, you, can't, yeah. you can't mess about with this shit. So if, 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 if a third country, even if it was the, the most amicable, happy divorce you'd ever experienced, if that third country were walking away and saying, yeah, well, OK, you know what, we'd still like to keep sleeping with you. And, you know, it's, yeah, absolutely, yeah. You wouldn't, but... but, but and, when in, we, and when we say as well. Yeah. Yeah. In the context that we find ourselves, <laughs> to yeah, think for a second that this is going to fly, however Fortnum and Mason the speech might sound, to think for a second that this um, is going to fly is just delusional. 
You just re- you just reminded me of uh, I'm squeaking absolute- again. I've got you just- you've got me to the squeaking point already. Yeah. <laughs> I've only been going for half an hour. But you just reminded me of um, my one of my all time favorite breakfast quotes, um, which was from Jonathan Port and Annan Menon. Oh, uh, that uh, legends. Uh, and it was—I can't remember when it was, but it was quite—it was—it was, it was quite a while ago. It was maybe before or before the summer, uh, 2017, uh, when they were still saying, as, actually, as David David Davis has said again, that he thinks the 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 uh, all the important work of a future relationship will be done by the uh, by Brexit Day. He thinks it, it, it doesn't need. Uh, in fact, he said it by the time the exit agreement is is compl- is completed. And I remember, uh, yeah, and my favorite, possibly one of my favorite quotes ever on Brexit was that the number of uh, those who believe that a trade deal can be done uh, before the end of the Article Fifty Two years are disproportionately concentrated within the cabinet. Yes, <laughs> which is just absolutely. And now I think what we're seeing is those who believe that the May speech. Is the, the what is outlined in the May speech is is going to be accepted and is going going to be what happens are disproportionately located within the Conservative Party. Yeah, and somebody else did a, somebody else said something very similar. There's an invo- inverse correlation between um, the number of you know, the the experience that you have of international trade agreements and international <laughs> trade negotiation and your belief that you're going to end up with trade agreements that cover all these areas. It's, it's a directly yeah, inverse. Yeah. 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 Before we leave, Stefan Derink and his uh, remarks made at an LSE lecture in London on Monday night. Which we'll um, put a link to. Which we'll, we'll link to. Um, just one last thing. I mean, this, is, this is a little... I'm just going to pull up The Guardian on something. Um, so The Guardian report said uh, that Stefan's remarks, um, probably the fullest from the commission since May made a speech, and suggest propose, her proposals for a future trading relationship, will be dead on arrival. And then here's the bit. Unless EU member states sympathetic to UK interests decide the Commission's interpretation of the single market is too rigid. Unless EU member states decide that the interests of the UK are more important to them than the interests of EU member states. Even if they did, even if they did, that's not how the fucking EU works, Steve. Yeah, absolutely. That's why we've got a commission, the Guardian of the Treaties. That's why we've got a court of justice that interprets and applies EU law. Absolutely, yeah. Because that's the point of the fucking EU, as we keep saying. The EU is not about member states suddenly turning around and deciding, you know what, we're just not going to apply this rule for now. Yeah, because this would benefit us and not you, so we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. Yeah, that's not how it works. That's why you have negotiations, actually. So I know that this is exactly what Yank Eurosceptics chain the entire time, but this is the point of it. Mm. So if you don't like it, fine, leave. But don't fucking pretend that everybody else is. <laughs> that everyone's going to. Well, yeah, but this is always the thing is that, you know, every. And actually, the, the Blair speech did this a bit as well, which I was a bit. Yeah. Which I was a bit grumpy about, you know, of going, ooh, EU, you're going to have to change if you want to keep. If you want to keep the UK. And, this, and the EU saying, well, we'd rather keep the UK, but you've decided to leave and you've told us mm. you're going to. Um, so we're proceeding on that basis. Mm. And we're not going to rearrange everything, you know, on the off chance that it might make you guys happy. No, no. no I mean, we tried that. We tried that for the yeah. last 20 odd years and it didn't bloody work. No, and it's really and not, not going to work. So we're not doing it. So we're not going to do it again. Not going to happen. Uh, Steve, let's, let's, um, shall we move to, let's do Lie of the Week next, shall we? I don't believe you. Liar. Right, I've got um, I've got two proposals um, this week. Um, they're not strictly lies. Then, well, yeah, well, one's a lie. So this well, we is decide a, the lie, lie of the week. Lie of the week extends to utter disingenuousness as well, and just I mean, sheer yeah. stupidity. So, um, <laughs> whereas I said that nobody was being actually stupid, I think actually, actually, Roger Helmet is actually being. And stupid. <laughs> well, do you want to do fu- what? What is what is in the program notes here? Is the fucking idiot of the week? Yeah. Um, do you want to do that one first? Because it is a corker. Yeah, yeah. Go do on, you think? Do on. you think Roger Helmer listens to this podcast? In which case, I don't think Roger Helmer listens to to the Cake Watch podcast. So, Roger Helmer, in case you don't know him, he's he's a former MEP 
Um, he 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 resigned under something of a cloud, didn't he? Um, <laughs> something of a cloud. So something, Rog- Roger, something of a money gone missing kind yes. of cloud. Yeah. So <laughs> Roger is one of our dearly departed um, former UKIP um, MEPs who he still um, has the Twitter handle at Roger Helmet MEP, yeah, which I have does, pointed out to him. Yeah. Um, can be can in fact be changed. Yeah. So uh, so Roger's but he's decided famous. not to. Roger's famous for the photograph of him fast asleep in the European Parliament, <laughs> mm. which All might explain luck. why he he obviously missed in during his career. He missed out the entire bit about geographical indications and that <laughs> yeah, exactly. he slept through that. Nap <laughs> because he, during that part, he has yeah. now he has now tweeted today. I am profoundly supportive of the transatlantic transatlantic alliance and of a future US UK trade deal, but American Scotch whiskey and American Cornish pasties are a step too far. They would amount to deliberate misrepresentation. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, this is just great. If you know the uh, massive catastrophe for, for the UK economy, lots of people losing their rights, so on and so on and so on, all the things about Brexit, that's fine. That's fine. We can take that. That's no problem. Cornish pa- American Cornish passes, you're having a fucking laugh. Let's ditch this. <laughs> that's outrageous. Oh, now, I'm, now I'm angry. <laughs> well done. Well done, Roger, for hating. For for raging against uh, absolutely predictable and in fact well predicted consequence of the thing that you spent your political life campaigning for, you fucking idiot! I can't even. I can't breathe. Chris has got the giggles. I don't think we've had giggles yet, have we? Jeez, oh. Oh These are tears. Of tears. We're crying. We're, oh. we're not necessarily crying with joy here. I just so the other one, the other lie of the week is absolutely outstanding. Which I think I think I called it peak cakeism, but. Um, but it's not. But it's not because there'll be more, and there's been more since, I'm sure. But this is from 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 Ian Duncan Smith, that uh, that noted noted scholar of the details of uh, details of international relations in the European Union. And his quote was, and he said it in the he said it in a question he said to the it Prime in Minister. Parliament, exactly, he yeah, said, in yeah, the House of Commons. He said, "Would the Prime Minister agree that uh, the?" The European Commission, I think he's the European They always use European Commission. Eh? They always say the, Euro, the bloody European Commission when they mean the EU as well. Um, and he said, will he re- remind them that cake, quote, cake exists to be eaten and cherries exist to be picked, which is just fantastic because it's a total misuse of the idiom. So what, and he looked incredibly smug while he was doing it and all of the, all of the ERG, his Gee, ERG yeah. acolytes behind him were guffawing and praying about it. And in fact, he, but he's fucked it up. He's totally fucked up the idiom. Because yes, cake does exist to be eaten. And when it's and eaten, it's that's gone. The point. When it's eaten, it's gone. That's exactly the point. I mean, that's exactly the point. And the cherries are the same. Cherries do exist to be picked because, well, they don't exist to be picked. Actually, they exist to fall on the ground so they can grow more cherry trees is the reason. But if, if you're going to get down them. to why, it, but if you get down to why they exist, they exist specifically not to be picked. They exist to be, to fall on the ground and be eaten by animals and to, uh, and, and to grow new cherry trees. So you know what you can have is you can have a you can have a collective you can have a farm where um, people are brought in and paid a, a, a wage um, to pick those cherries and to uh, ship them off to be turned into juice or cherry pie or something, um, or you mm. can mount a midnight raid on your neighbour's cherry orchard, nick all his <laughs> cherries, <laughs> but only the ones you like as well. I think it's more. I think it's more that you you employ a you employ a team of cherry pickers and they say we're only going to pick certain ones and you say well. No, the contracts for the contracts that you pick all the cherries, and uh, or you pick none of them, or, or you or we don't employ you as a cherry picker, and you pick none of them, and they say, "Well, we'll we'll screw you. We're not going to we're not going to do it." And Wait, that's totally that's totally unfair that you expect us to pick all the cherries, not just the ones that we fancy. You know, you know what? We're we're overthinking something that um, obviously had absolutely zero thought yeah. put into I mean, it. He, 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 he didn't he didn't over fucking think it, did he? No, he, he, didn't, really, he didn't. No. Yeah, he didn't no. think it at all. So. I think we've given him too much oxygen publicity. I think let's we move have. swiftly to ask Hate Watch. Ask Cake Watch. I think we're gonna. I think I'm. I think we need. Uh, I, I just want to say at this point that people might might have noticed that Ask Cake Watch has its own little bit of music, which is a bit of music by the Drones Seventy Two, who are a Brussels-based band. Actually, most of them work in European Commission um, and are an exceptionally good uh, band who write songs principally about Brussels and about the Brussels as a European. European capital one Sounds of the very rock and roll, Steve. Well, it's very, it is, but you, you know, all you've got to, as a friend of a great musician friend of mine says, all you need for a great song is is to tell the truth. And 
So they write great songs about the, about Brussels. I mean, my fa- one of my favorite songs by them is called Vampires of Va- Vampires of Vitamin D, which is about a bunch <laughs> of Italians being in Brussels, struggling, struggling, struggling to 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 ward off the vampires of Vitamin D that you get by living somewhere with no sun. You know, which I really like. So they've got we a right a right look at it. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's the song, and we'll put we'll. Uh, that's the song that we're that's the song that we're we're using for the ass cake watch theme, and we'll post a. In fact, we might cut this bit out and just post a link to it instead to save. Time. No, we, let's keep it. I think this is good stuff. Um, two questions. Let's let me do the first one. Um, yeah. So, um, this is from Peter, um, who sent by email a question. You know, Ray, the trading framework wording and the eventual withdrawal agreement. Do you think the EU will be happy to let the UK continue to fudge the issues? Or will they force the UK to make a choice? If they try to force a soft Brexit on the UK, what would they do? Cheers, Peter. Um, uh, do you know, I think that there's a couple of misapprehensions here. I mean, I, I, honestly, you know, nobody's going to try to force anything on the UK. I think people just no. want the UK to just, you know, say what it wants. If it doesn't say what it wants, what's going to happen is it's just going to fall out. And there's going to be no deal. But I think, the, I think, but I think, the, I think the point here is it's interesting wording that try to force soft Brexit on the UK. And it's not, it's not, uh, it's not Peter's fault because this is the kind of language that's used, that's used all, that's used all the time. It's used, it's used, it's just used casually um, around around Brexit. You can't force a soft Brexit on the UK. The UK can choose to have a hard Brexit, but that comes with consequences. Yeah, and those consequences are built into the. Me- there's a menu that the UK can choose from that each one has conditions, rights, and responsibilities. Attached to attached to it, and um, the Barnier staircase that we always keep they always keep coming back to. Um, now, one of the things that uh, <laughs> one of the one of the things that uh, there was a fudge on in phase one is the, Nor- the Northern Ireland the Northern Ireland border issue, which we talked a lot about last week. It's not forcing; it's a fact that without something close to single market and something uh, identi- almost identical to the customs union. Um, that there will be a border, there will be border infrastructure in the in on on that border. If there was a soft Brexit, if the UK joined uh, had the joined uh, the EA or asked to join the EA, which is we know is open open to the possibility, um, and the customs union, then that wouldn't then that wouldn't happen. Um, so it's not that it's forced on. It's not that a hard border is forced on the UK. It's the UK's choice. It's yeah. the UK's choice to do, and based on the conditions and the rights and responsibilities that are attached to each kind of each kind of relationship. So I think the answer is yes, they'll force the UK to make a choice, but it's not. But it, but that that is not the same as forcing a soft Brexit on the UK. That that would be my yeah. So I mean, there are three questions here. Actually, um, will um, the EU be happy to let the UK continue to fudge the issues? No, no, I don't think so. Will they force the UK to make a choice? I, I, I think that they. Will they can't force the UK to make a choice? But I mean, not making a choice is also making a choice. I think that's that's, that's what we're saying. That's a very that's a very good point, actually. And uh, if they try to force a soft Brexit on the UK, what would they do? They won't try and force a soft Brexit on the UK. So yeah. Apart from anything, I don't think that I don't think that the EU. I don't think. Well, I don't think the EU wants a recalcitrant EEA member. I don't think it wants an EEA member that doesn't really want to be a member of the EEA. EFTA states came to the yeah, EU. The UK does this, what the UK wants. Forced, the EA wasn't forced on EFTA states. EFTA states decided they wanted the EA. And Switzerland decided it wanted that relationship, which was close yeah, to Yeah, and that. then when it decided it didn't, it, it didn't. You know, and Norway and voted against, they backed off. When, when Switzerland yeah. decided not to, it backed off. And when Switzerland, and when Switzerland, when Switzerland decided it didn't want bits of it, there were consequences. And there were consequences. And that's another thing that we uh, are going to get to when we, talk, when we, have our, when we finally have our conversation yeah. about Um Next question. Um, do you want to do... Well, that, was a, that was a very good question because it was three parts and also had an interesting... It, the, the question had an interesting point in, it, in itself as well, I think. So. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the next one's from Nelius. Um, Nelius, um, friend of the podcast. Uh, yes, the press is obsessed with how much the U- EU costs the UK. I'm interested to know what savings the EU might make, if any, when it no longer has to administer and accommodate the UK or perhaps costs go up. Ooh, I mean, there's a lot to unpack here. Um, there's an awful, awful lot. lot. I mean, firstly, let me be clear. I mean, the UK does, the EU does not administer the UK, <laughs> but what it does do is um, have a number. I think of it meant when it when it, when it had to adapt I, to to administer yeah, things we, I know what you, to the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah I know absolutely. what you mean. Um, look, um, 
so the UK has been um, all along a net contributor to the EU budget, yes. which of course yeah. um, has been the subject of much um, conversation and discussion and debate, and many untruths, uh, well. and many untruths. Um, the point that I have always been making, and I think a lot of other people do too, is like you know, actually, do you know what the, the actual figure hardly matters? Mm. You know, in terms of what this, I mean, it's still you know, a the contribution when you look at your overall tax bill, the portion of that that goes into the EU is just minuscule. I mean, it's, it's, about, like, one, it's about one percent of total UK government spending. It's minuscule. Mm. It's like a loaf of bread a week or something. It's yeah. re- we're really talking about not very much. But the point is, it's wrong it's to less. see this as yeah. It's I mean, it's it's wrong. It's fundamentally wrong to see this as some kind of donation. It is an investment. Exactly. Yeah, it precisely. is an investment, and the returns on that investment have been massive. Because when you look at where the UK was in 1973 and where the UK is now and where the UK is projected to be, you know, that investment has just reaped incredible rewards. It's the best investment that anybody could possibly make. So, to me... To see the equation of simply... What the EU, what you give to the EU, and what the EU spends in the UK is 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 fundamentally the wrong way yeah. to look at it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, okay. I totally agree. All right. So, um, but short answer. Well, um, obviously, right now we're in the middle of planning the uh, next financial perspective, the, the multi-annual financial frame, framework from 2020, and um, we're also looking at. Um, the remaining period for the current financial perspective and making sure that our um, commitments um, match the budgets that we've got. Mm. And there's an all sorts yeah. of work. There's constantly work being done on this, as you can imagine. Um, the next MFF is going to be, uh, multi-annual financial framework is going to be, uh, is, is, being, is being calculated on the basis of the UK no longer being um, yeah. part of the EU. So the UK's contribution will go, but also the various um, expenditures that the EU has in the UK, and they are significant in terms of the main um, the main chunks of the EU budget by far are agriculture, the cap, and the European structural funds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and in both of those, the UK is a massive beneficiary. Um, yeah. In terms of the actual sort of ultimate calculation, net net contributor, net beneficiary, it, it's a net contributor, but um, um, it, the maths, the maths will be sorted out, and um, there will be some rejigging. And the next MFF is being calculated, and as it always is, and the UK just simply isn't going to be part of it. And so, you know, that's that. Um, yeah. But I think the lesson from this is that this is this costs everybody. Brexit costs absolutely everybody. Yeah. It, um, it costs the UK because of the, as you say, all the huge benefits and huge. Uh, economic benefits that it gets uh, from from membership and also um it will hit uh it'll hit the G- the the gdp of uh lots of eu member yeah. states as well the ones the ones closest to the eu yeah. in fact the, the uk's closest friends and neighbors yeah. are the ones that the ones that it'll it, like the netherlands and belgium are the ones that are the ones that it'll it'll hit most nobody wins from this yeah. absolutely nobody is going to win from this and you can see and you can see people try you can see member states trying to find ways to mitigate that I mean that's why Paris has gone on a uh, a big drive to attract yeah. uh, to attract uh, financial companies yeah. uh, and so on. Yeah, um, is because they're trying because they're trying. It's not because they see this as a marvelous opportunity. It's because they're trying to mitigate the cost. Yeah, of make it no mistake. There will be a cost. With, these are lemons. You know, the UK is serving up lemons here, and pretty bit, bitter lemons they are too. Uh, but you know, the UKs are bitterer than the the UKs are bitterer than oh, yeah. the EU. Well, what what, what, what what they're doing, what, what, what Paris and Frankfurt and Dublin and everybody else is busy doing is like, well, you know, we're going to have to make some lemonade out of these shitty lemons mm. that you've served mm. us. So that's what we're going to do. But but overall, <laughs> but overall, overall, there are, overall, everybody everybody loses as a result yeah. of Brexit. It's a, it's a step backwards yeah, in no every, winners, yeah. in every regard for for every, for everybody involved. So I think I think we're about I think that's about us wrapped up for the week then. Isn't yeah, it? I just want to give a brief trailer for our next uh, the next episode of Cake Watch, Cake Watch yes. which is where we are going to hopefully be doing some Vox Pops. Yeah, we're gonna go we're gonna go outside broadcast. I hate Vox Pops; they're awful, but not in this case. <laughs> no, they'll be brilliant because actually the people who we'll be asking to do them are brilliant. Yeah, um, and that's why they're going to be excellent. So do you want to do you want to? And tell tell the people where the people. <laughs> it's probably grand. Um, do you want to pe- tell the people who, what we're going to do? 
Um, well, tomorrow evening here in Brussels, um, we're going to have one of our regular tweet-ups, tweet-ups. Uh, which is where the um, Brussels Twitter bubble get together uh, every few weeks. to they get together IRL. IRL. I read that that's what kids say about yeah. meeting up. So now. we're going to do that tomorrow night, and um, hopefully uh, we haven't actually worked out what we're going to ask people yet or talk to people about, but hopefully it'll be interesting. We'll pull out the, the – we'll cherry-pick the best bits. We'll cherry-pick, exactly, yeah. Absolutely. That reminds me, I need to put batteries in my mobile recorder, so thank you for bringing that up. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, let's not so forget ho- that. Yes. So hopefully, yeah, so hopefully we'll have a, a sort of new, new occasional, occasional feature here, which is, uh, which is very nice. Okay, Steve. Of course, if it's rubbish now, we'll, we'll have to do it anyway, because we've told people we're gonna, we can't just turn up, rock up next week and say, well, we did the Vox Pops, but they were shite. That we entirely depends them. on whether or not you managed to get this episode out before, before tomorrow evening, which <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'm sceptical about that, but we'll see. <laughs> we'll see. Excellent. All right. Great. Well, um, thanks very much, very, very much for listening, and uh, we'll be back uh, at some at some point at some point in the future uh, with uh, the next episode of Cakewatch. Thank you. Good night, Steve. Good night, Kev.